0: As we talked about last week, uh, much of Jesus' last week on this earth was spent ministering in the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, so we're going to continue in Luke chapter 20 as we find uh, another instance where Jesus is in the temple and He is going to be sharing with with the people, the crowd that had gathered there, sharing about Himself and about uh, what He came for, His purpose, and His his plan and His teaching. In Luke chapter 20... Uh, it records a number of conflicts that Jesus has with the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, today we're going to look at how they question His authority. And the response that Jesus gives in, re- in reacting to their questioning of His authority will give us some encouragement in light of the struggle that sometimes we face when interacting with people, coworkers, and neighbors and family that are not willing to accept Jesus as God's Son. And, uh, and how do we respond to that? And Jesus is going to give us an indication. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter twenty. And we look at the first eight verses of Luke chapter twenty. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, "Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it they gave you this authority?" And he answered them. I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In our passage today, we find that Jesus is in the temple and he's preaching, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the uh, uh, the good news. <laughs> the confrontation that uh, that we see here in Luke is also recorded in the Gospels of Mark and also uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's pretty significant. This interaction that takes place between Jesus and the religious leaders, those who are, are the temple authorities, those that are uh, appointed by the people to take care of, of religious and political matters. And we're going to see that in this chapter, chapter 20, that there are six occasions, six interactions that Jesus has with, uh, with either directly or indirectly where there's conflict. And we're going to be talking about those in the next few weeks, uh, with these six uh, encounters that find Jesus uh, in... in uh, having some, some difficulties, some problems with, uh, with them, or they have problems with him. And so this is the first of these, uh, of these uh, interactions in, in uh, Luke chapter 20. Uh, these sparks, they come out of an earlier uh, conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. We've been talking about all through Luke. how uh, Jesus continually had uh, rubbed the wrong way, the religious leaders of the time, because he came with a, with a message that, that they didn't want to hear. And, uh, and his message, challenge their authority, challenge their their, uh, their way of doing things. And so uh, so we see that, that here it's kind of coming to, to, a, to a head uh, here this last week of his life. The escalation of engagements is accompanied by an intense Christiology. Jesus, through these interactions, through his dealing with them, is being able to show them more and more uh, who he is. And so we see in Chapter 20, we see diff- different ways that Jesus is uh, identified, and we see that He's uh, revealed as first of all the beloved Son. We see that in chapter 13 or verse 13. He's the, uh, as the Son of David. He's identified as Lord, as the Messiah, as the vital cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, and the teacher who could not be refuted. And so as we as we look through this chapter, we're going to see these things uh, um, hashed out in in, in, the, in the next weeks to come. But it's important to understand. That the conflict that Jesus has with others uh, brings about a greater understanding of who he is. It brings out a greater, for us, a greater revelation of his purpose and his mission and who he is. And so, um, so sometimes we look at conflict as a negative thing. Sometimes we see conflict as a way of uh, trying to avoid it at all costs. But Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He, he ushered it in as a way of teaching those who were gathered a teaching the crowd um, who he was and why he came. In our passage today, we find Jesus in the temple teaching and preaching the gospel. The confrontation that uh, um, that occurs here uh, demonstrates how significant that this uh, uh, that his being there was for those in uh, um, in leadership of the temple there. Uh, in the temple, Jesus was sharing the good news to all people that God's promise of sending um, God's uh, all people that God's promise of sending a savior into the world had been fulfilled. So when we say the word gospel, the God, word gospel means good news. Good news. And Jesus came to, to share that, to share the good news. And that was the good news, that the promises that God had, had given the nation of Israel from hundreds of years before uh, had come and been fulfilled in His coming, in His teaching, and in His, ultimately, what He was going to, to do at the end of the week was to die for our sins. So in Acts chapter 5, the uh, Holy Spirit was doing the same uh, miracles and healings uh, through the people. He was, in, in Acts chapter 5, we see the same message was taught by the, uh, the disciples as they, uh, the early church was, was going forward. And we see the same message that Jesus was preaching here was, was the same message that they taught when they were in uh, the temple in, in Acts chapter 5. And so Peter and the other disciples, uh, we, we see that, uh, that uh, um, those in the temple at that time were so enamored with what Peter was doing, the miracles that were happening, that they would uh, line up in their, their cots in such a way that as Peter walked by, his shadow would, would fall upon them. And as the shadow fall upon them, they were hoping that, that, uh, that, that they would be healed just by being in his presence, those that were lame and sick and, and those that needed to be healed. Uh, great power was done by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and as a result, Peter and the other disciples had an opportunity to teach uh, about Jesus. Uh, they, they were able to share the gospel, to share the good news that Christ had come. And much of the way that Jesus was sharing the good news, the gospel, with those that he came in contact with, uh, we see here in Luke chapter 20. And so, uh, and in the same way that Jesus was questioned and, uh, and rebuked by the temple authorities, uh, Peter and those in, in Acts chapter 5 were, uh, in the same way, uh, were, were, uh, were told that, uh, that that wasn't acceptable. And so they were taken and they were, they were thrown into prison. And as they were there in prison, uh, through the night, an angel of the Lord came to them and he opened the gates of, of the prison. They were able to go out and he instructed them to go back into the temple and continue to preach the gospel, continue to proclaim the gospel. And, uh, and they were able to do that. And, uh, and then as daybreak came, they went back into the, to the temple and they started preaching again. And of course, you could understand how the, 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 the chief priest and the, and the other leaders would be irritated by, by this defiance. And so... Uh, they called them again to come before them and, uh, and they, they took him in and they brought them before them. They said, what are you doing? We told you not to. They were angry. They said, we told you not to preach the, of this man Jesus. We told you not to speak of him. Um, uh, but P- 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 Peter replied, we, we have to. God has placed this message on us. This is the truth. We have to, to proclaim it. And so they, uh, they were deciding what they were going to do with him. And then this man, one of, the, one of the chief Pharisees, one of the well-respected leaders, stood up and he said, "You know, there have been other people who have who have led revolts. There's been other people who have led people, and and we've uh, we've, we've we've squashed that. We we've we uh, uh, we put to death their leader, and as a result, the others have flocked away. And so, um, you know, if this is not of God, if this movement is not of God, then the same thing's going to happen. We are going to that you know we we we've we, we've uh, put Jesus to death, and and, and everybody's going to flock. But this if, if this is of God." If this is something that is from a spiritual aspect and not of man, then it's not going to go away. We are fighting against God, and we can't be fighting against God. And the other people in the council there, they agreed. And they said, well, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's bring him in. And, and so they, 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 they gave him a beating, and they uh, uh, told him, you know, don't speak this name Jesus ever again, and they released him. And so in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, we see that... Uh, We have on the screen here their reaction. When they left the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease preaching, uh, teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And so we see that in Acts, they follow the same pattern of Jesus, preaching and and or teaching and preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. And there's one difference between the, the gospel that the apostles were preaching and the gospel that Jesus was preaching. Jesus came to preach that He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and He was the chosen one who had come. The disciples, in their preaching, they preached that Jesus had fulfilled all of the Old Testament by dying on the cross, by providing for our salvation through His death and through His resurrection. And so we see in their uh, in their, the way that they shared the gospel, that it was a complete gospel, and so, um, but they, but nevertheless, it was the good news. And so we see that that uh, back in, the chat in the twentieth chapter of Luke, we see that those who were in the crowd, that were there with Jesus, that had gathered around Jesus, were listening to this incredible news of salvation. And uh, and they were they were the ones that were hung he uh, that they hung on his words, uh, back in at the end of. Uh, of the the last chapter, chapter 19, you looked at last week, those who gathered there hung on the words of Jesus. said that that, uh, the leaders couldn't find anything um, to do for the people were hanging on his words. They couldn't really come against Jesus because the people, all the people that had gathered there were just enthralled by the message that Jesus had. And as a result, we see that 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 same group had come again to hear Jesus, to hear more of this great preaching, more of this great teaching that Jesus came and provided them with. So the description fits with Luke's attempt to distinguish between people who were responsive to Jesus and their leaders and the crowds who were not. But there was a group. That were in leadership that opposed Jesus. And we're going to take a look at who, who this was. We're going to take a look at those who were uh, bringing this, this challenge against Jesus, who challenged his authority. They are described here as chief priests, scribes, and elders. They probably um, represented a delegation of the Sanhedrin. And their purpose in coming was clear. We see that at the end of verse uh, 19, verse 47. As he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the city. Uh, were seeking to destroy him. They were seeking to destroy him. And so that was their purpose in coming to him. That was their purpose in questioning him. That was the purpose in opposing Jesus, was to destroy him. They wanted to destroy, and the first step in doing that was to destroy his credibility. And in this passage, we're going to see that they were trying to destroy his credibility by attacking who, who, who he was, where he came from, who, would, who would it is that gave him this power to speak and to do such things that he was doing. So we see at the... Um, So those that were opposing him were part of the group called the Sanhedrin. We'll talk a little bit about who the Sanhedrin were. Um, They comprised of 71 members. They were divided into three groups. They were the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. The elders consisted of both Pharisees and Sadducees. And the scribes, who were mostly Pharisees, were the uh, the legal, they, they were provide the legal representation, they were able to give them some, uh, um, some legal counsel in matters. And they were made up the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, and then the chief priest made up the 71st member of the Sanhedrin. So there was a council of 71 members. And sometimes you, you see uh, chief priests, uh, well, that was because they, they counted uh, the former chief priests in that number as well, and also his family members were considered part of that group of the chief priests. And so that's why sometimes when, when Jesus was confronted, he was confronted by the chief priests, not just one, but, but many, because it included the, the former ones and ones that were, that were part of his family as well. So the ruling, uh, uh, these were appointed as ruling members uh, by the Roman Imperium. They were uh, aware of the fierce religious independence of the Jews and their equally fierce opposition to Gentile occupation, uh, which and they decided to establish the Sanhedrin as a kind of a proxy buffer to govern uh, the people, to keep control over those Jewish people in the various cities where they, they were at. The word Sanhedrin literally means sitting together. Hence, it's an assembly or a council. The Sanhedrin was an assembly of men appointed in every city in Israel. And they were given authority by the government. Uh, in all religious matters, and in many political matters as well. They had limited authority politically, but they were given really uh, many um, liberality in judging in spiritual matters matters in religious matters for the people. But it's important to realize that at the very time that Jesus' enemies were plotting, were plotting against him and challenging his authority, that he was bringing the good news to the people. God's purpose is never suppressed by opposition the scheming of those who wished to quiet Jesus did not discourage him but rather it fueled his desire to be even more diligent with sharing the truth how often do we get dejected when those around us try to hinder our faith in the Lord we all have people in our lives that that challenge or mock or ridicule our belief in Christ I don't know about you, but sometimes this becomes worry for me as I continue to try to share with the same people over and over again. And they continue to try to, to degrade or, or, or make fun of or, or, uh, uh, or, or mock the, the faith that's so important uh, in my life. Sometimes it becomes difficult <clears throat> having to regularly defend my love for God. But following the example of Jesus, who was never dejected, but instead turned these questions and objections into an opportunity to further share the gospel. Those that were coming to him had no interest in receiving the truth. They had no interest in knowing the truth of Christ. But yet he turned the opportunity that they came to have a challenge into a way of sharing with the rest of the crowd that had gathered there uh, some of these great truths that he wanted to to tell them. So we're going to look at the challenge that was brought to him. So just imagine how the religious elite felt as they saw the people of, uh, coming into the temple and hanging on every word of this man, Jesus, every word that he spoke. He's, this is an outsider, right? This is not part of their religious um, culture. He's not part of their religious, the inside group. Uh, he's not part of the establishment. He had no formal training by an established rabbi, and he's doing the unthinkable. He's influencing people, and he's swaying opinions. The religious leaders fell, felt that their power was slipping away. This man came from nowhere, and now he was teaching in such a way that captivated and attracted those in the temple. Therefore, the enemies of Jesus were seeking to trap him with a simple but clever question to in an attempt to obliterate his credibility. The issue that they raised was... By what authority could Jesus do these things? Um, and who was it that gave you this authority? So what does he mean by, what do they mean by these things? What are the these things that we're talking about here? Directly, it, it alludes to what we talked about last week in at the end of Luke chapter 19. It talks about where Jesus went in and cleansed the temple, where he turned over the money changers' um, um, T- uh, tables where he uh, showed his righteous anger towards what was becoming a, a, a den of thieves in the house of the Lord. Why? What gives him? What gives Jesus the authority to act such boldly to do such a bold thing? Uh, he wasn't part of the Sanhedrin. He wasn't part of the uh, a Pharisee. He wasn't part of the uh, of the scribes. He wasn't part of the religious uh, establishment at that time. So, what gives him the right to come in and and do these things? Obviously. Taking care of temple matters was, was, was part of the, of the rule of the, of the chief priest in the Sanhedrin. And if they weren't going to do it, Jesus was going to come in and clean things up. But you can see where this would, 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 would ruffle some feathers and, uh, and, uh, and put some, some people on the defensive end. So they, uh, they came to him and they said, what are, why are you doing these things? Why are you creating such havoc? Why are you challenging the authority that we have as the appointed religious leaders of the nation of Israel? Although the event was the most recent in the history of provocations, um, it expressed Jesus' unique authority. Since his altercation comes immediately after the cleansing of the temple, it's reasonable to assume that these things uh, refer to the shocking event that we learned about last week. However, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a little bit of a different um, chronological of And We've talked before about how Luke doesn't necessarily uh, think about things in chronological order. He, he orders things more in terms of of thought and patterns and things like that. So in the Gospel of uh, of Matthew, there is some time between the temple cleansing and the question of Jesus' authority. In Matthew, um, we have the blind that come, the lame that come to the temple to be healed by Jesus. Uh, Children shout out and sing Hosanna uh, because he is the son of David. Uh, We see that he curses the fig tree and and shows dominion over, uh, over things of nature. And then the chief priests and the teachers of the law uh, were indignant of these things. Were, they were irritated by the things that Jesus was doing. And then at the beginning of our passage there in verse twenty, we, uh, verse, verse 1, we see that one day uh, he came. Uh, one day as Jesus was, was, uh, was, um, was in the temple preaching. So it wasn't uh, necessarily the, the day after, but one day during that week. So it could have been the, the next day or the day after or a couple days later where Jesus was there preaching. uh in, in the temple. And so, uh, so we see that there's, there may be other things that were involved in the, these things. When they say these things, we, uh, uh, what gives you the authority to do these things? Probably had to do with his authority over forgiving sins, which we've talked about before. His authority to, um, uh, to fulfill some of the, the Old Testament prophecies. Um, because Luke is not concerned with chronology, uh, chronology as he is with keeping the flow of common events um, there was some time may have been some time that lapsed between between the, the temple cleansing and this one therefore the other things uh, that they are mentioning here uh, could be referred to Jesus authority and, and able to to heal on the Sabbath to demand total allegiance as we said before to forgive sins All these things provided fuel for the the sanhedrin and the, and the chief priests and the, and, the, and the scribes to Come against Jesus and to, to, uh, in front of the crowd, in front of all those that were gathered there, to challenge his authority. Why are you doing these things? What gives you the right to do these things? So the Sanhedrin come upon him suddenly to parlay with a foe and to test with a question. And his answer, no matter how complete he gives, is unlikely to satisfy them. And no matter uh, how incomplete, almost certain to arouse further suspicion. Jesus refuses to play their game, for he will not declare. What they are unwilling to hear. Because they are guided more by self-interest than they are the truth. They weren't there to truly find out what Jesus was there for. They were trying to preserve their way of doing things because of the challenge that they uh, saw Jesus as the threat that Jesus was to their way of doing things. The source of Jesus' authority has already been made known. Time and time again through the gospel of week, we've seen Jesus' authority uh, uh, being um, being shown. He manifested such authority because He is the Son of the Most High, because He is the Christ, the Most Holy One, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and Israel's King. But the question they posed was part of their plan to destroy Him. They hoped His answer would get Him in trouble with the Roman authorities. If Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, if He claimed to be the King, if He claimed to be uh, a political and religious leader of the time, then... um, they could accuse him of revolutionary revolutionary activities, which would, of course, uh, get the Roman government involved and, uh, and and provide them the legal means in which to to, uh, to, to further press uh, against Jesus. By what authority? When they asked him, by what authority? It indicates that the issue for the Sanhedrin was not simply that Jesus what Jesus was doing or what he did, but his right to do this. By what authority do you have to do these things? Are you divinely legitimate, or are you a false prophet? A second and related question that they ask is who gave you this authority? Where did it come from? And if Jesus attributes to God, then he could be charged with blasphemy, a charge that had been earlier uh, proposed in relation to his presumption that he could forgive sins, back in Luke chapter 5. At the heart of the question about Jesus' authority is his presumption to speak and act in place of God. He had an authority that, that even the other teachers of the law did not have. He acted and and spoke as one who was God, who came from God, because we know that He was God. So if you think about this issue of authority, I think it's important for us to consider um, that we give credence, who we give credence to, and what we give credence to in our lives as well, because all of us have an authority. Jesus was the one who came, and even, even He said, my authority is with God in heaven. So in our lives, who is it that we give authority to? Who do we allow to influence us as we make decisions on a regular and daily basis. The temple authorities were right to question whether Jesus was legitimate in what he taught and what he led others to believe. However, as we will see in the next couple of verses, their motives were not pure in seeking the truth, but rather to conquer a rival. And Jesus will expose this hypocrisy, as we will see. But before we look at this, it's important for us to take a look at this authority. What evidence do we have that Jesus is the Son of God? That Jesus should be the one who has that we give authority to in our lives. And so, Jesus demonstrated his messianic identity through various means. And we're going to take a look at, at four of these real quick. The first one I want to look at is Jesus uh, showed us who he was through signs and wonders, through the miraculous and wonderful things that he did. The New Testament reveals how Jesus revealed. And performed many signs and wonders among the people. He changed water into wine. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 out of meager means of food. Um, He healed the blind, the leprosy, the demon-possessed. He raised raised people from the dead. All these were signs and wonders point to Jesus being special. Uh, And he was special. However, in in Matthew, we have a, a warning. That Jesus gives. In Matthew chapter 24, if anyone says to you, Look, here's Christ, and Jesus here is talking about the end times. He says, As the end times are coming, be aware. He says, If anyone says to you, Look, there's Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So we see here that uh, Jesus' warning is that signs and wonders will, will be done by people that, that are, are, uh, are, are not necessarily those that come from God. Uh, remember in, in Egypt when uh, Moses went to, uh, to Pharaoh to say, Release the people, let them go. And God said, I'm going to do these, these great signs through you. Take your staff and, and put it on the water, and the water changed to blood, right? Miraculous sign. What a great thing. And the uh, pharaoh's magicians came, and they did something similar through, through tricks and things, and they were able to do the same thing. So, so we can be tricked. We can be fooled. fooled. Uh, so signs and wonders is an is a indication that, that somebody may be from God, but we cannot put our full faith that, that just because Jesus did signs and wonders that he was the Messiah. There has to be more, and God gave us more. The second thing that we can look at to... Establish Jesus as who he as he was, who he said he was, is, he dis, is his distinctive teachings. His distinctive teaching. The message of Jesus was unmistakably different from others, with his emphasis on providing atonement for sin and for reconciliation with God. Jesus brings peace, joy, and purpose into people's lives. And apart from faith in him, there is no basis for true peace or direction. The Bible says that we are estranged from God in the wound and that this estrangement is healed by the reconciling ministry of Jesus Christ. And only through Christ can we come before God. He was about bringing wholeness to people's lives, of forgiving sin, and restoring relationships. The difference between Jesus and others' teachers were obvious. And people saw that as they heard Jesus speaking, as they heard others speaking. In Mark chapter 1, verse 22, we see this as um, those that gathered around and, saw his, uh, and were listening to him, and they said, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So even though Jesus' message, even though Jesus's message uh, and, and authority was unique, um, as, as it was attributed by those that, that heard him and that saw him and that was there with him, it's still in, um, we still need to be hesitant about submitting to him as the Son of God because we are warned Um, in Revelation, that false teachers will come, and there will be smooth-talking people that will, uh, will potentially lead people astray. It's a sign, but it's not the ultimate sign. But there's a third way that we can know that Jesus is the Son of God, to know that He is somebody that we can give our full authority to, we can submit to Him fully, and that's through the fulfillment of prophecy. The life of Jesus matched prophecies in the Old Testament in terms of his birth, where he was born, uh, his lineage, um, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In every way, he fulfilled the messianic expectations of the Hebrew Scriptures. Not only in terms of what he could do and what was in his, in his, uh, in his, that, he, that was possible for him to control, but things that were out of his control, things that he could not control, like who he was born to or, or where he was born, where he came from. Uh, he cannot control these things, but yet they line up with what the Old Testament says was, going to, was to be expected of the one who would come. Hundreds of years um, before, 500 to 1,000 years before Jesus came, God sent prophets to give indication to the nation of Israel that this is, what you're, this is what you are to look for. This is who I'm going to send. These are the signs to be looking for. These are the, uh, uh, the prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled each of those. During Jesus' time, a little bit before Jesus and even after Jesus, there were others who came to, uh, to claim to, to be the Messiah, to claim to be the special chosen one of the nation of Israel. But Jesus' life, if you look at his life and look at the life of others, his life was in sharp contrast to those false Messiahs that appeared in Israel around uh, this time period. There was a clear distinction between Jesus and, uh, and the others who claimed to be the Messiah because Jesus. Number one, carried out the law of Moses, whereas another uh, guy at the time named uh, Shabbatai Zevi, uh, he, he, he did not. He did not acknowledge the, the, uh, the Old Testament law of Moses, where Jesus carried out. And said he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. There have been many throughout the years, and even those in our lifetime, who have claimed messiahship. But God provides a clear indication of what to look for in a Savior. And only Jesus fulfills these prophecies and meets these requirements. But there's one other indication that God gives us, that Jesus provided for us to give us indication that He is the one that we can give total authority to as the Son of God, and that is His resurrection. That is His resurrection. There's been no other man who has lived in this life, died, and has come back to, to life. Jesus is the only one. The resurrection is the third piece of evidence and is perhaps the most convincing vindication of Jesus' claim. Jesus predicted his own resurrection and was witnessed by hundreds which vindicated his claim to Messiahship. Of course, those who challenged Jesus in the temple in uh, chapter 20 here did not have this final piece of evidence. Uh, They had the other three pieces, but they didn't have this final piece which would come later on in the week. Um... However, we have the advantage, we know that not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he rose from the dead to give us victory, to conquer any sickness, any death, any, anything that this life has put in our way. So the question that we need to answer today is, are you willing to allow Jesus to be your authority? Will you give him total control and trust for your lives? Will you allow him to be the one to call the shots, to be the one to be in total control? There are so many things that are vying for that position in our life. There's so many things that are vying for number one place. But Jesus is the only one that deserves it. He's the only one who died for you. He's the only one who provides the salvation. That uh, without him, we are doomed. He provides the hope for us. Some submit to the authority of education in their lives. If I'm just smart enough or, or if, if, it, if it lines up with, uh, with the laws of science, then, then I can believe it. Uh, some put their, their authority in, in money. If it, if it makes money or if it's financially feasible, then I can put my authority in that. Some um, put their, uh, their authority into a philosophy. And if this philosophy works, then, then it will, will, will produce for me. But, uh, but all those things will leave us unfulfilled as only Christ deserves our full. So Luke paints for us kind of a visual picture. We have Jesus who is on one side with a huddle of self-perceived wise men on the other. They've come to confront this man who causes trouble because he's turning over tables and and teaching doctrines that are a threat and controversial and strike at the core of what uh, traditionally has been believed in which these over here expound as truth. So boldly and courageously, they come together, linking arms together, to confront this man about why he has the gall to speak and do such things as he does. But quickly, Jesus seizes control of the situation, of the interaction. He puts the wise men on the defensive. Without thought or pondering an issue, a response, he answers by posing a question that he knew would bring turmoil anxiety and confusion among those who were aiming to turn the crowd against him jesus answered and he said i'll ask you a question now tell me was the baptism of john from heaven or from man a simple question that jesus responded to them as a way of turning the table, as a way of taking control of this interaction. This refusal of Jesus to answer the question that they had submitted was not just a ploy uh, to avoid answering a loaded question. The people were aware of the close relationship that Jesus had with John. Jesus had uh, acclaimed John as a prophet, sent by God, and set in motion something that Jesus would continue. Jesus obviously believed that he and John acted with divine authority. So by asking his critics about John, Jesus indirectly was answering their question about his own authority. When they refused to acknowledge the divine authority of John, they showed that they were not willing to listen to an honest answer to their question. So the implication of Jesus is clear. Jesus refused to give more light to those who refused to accept the light that he had been providing them and make a decision concerning it. They refuse to live according to an awareness of the heavenly dimension of life and choose rather to stay on a worldly level, worldly dimension. It's important to note that Jesus only gives two options. He says, was John from, from God? Did he come from God or did he come from, from man? There's only two options, two, two choices he gives there. He said he didn't give the, cho- the choice of, of Judaism or rabbinic tradition or the temple or the Torah. He advances only two options. Uh, possible options either divine or human about where john came from these are necessary to comprehend his authority his person and his mission and framing the issue in such a fundamental way jesus requires the sanhedrin a decision that cannot be answered from their power base because they knew about the torah they knew about their traditions they knew about the the, the teachings of the rabbis and the roman authority but when they faced the ultimate question about Jesus, even the Sanhedrin, the most authoritative body in Judaism, had to avoid a decision of faith. So what does John's baptism have to do with Jesus? What was his baptism? Why did he come? Jesus, uh, John came to preach a baptism of repentance and of what? Of coming of somebody who was greater than he. He was coming to prepare the way for, uh, for Jesus, coming to prepare the way for God's chosen one. If the Sanhedrin wants to know where Jesus received his authority, they must consider John's baptism and where John uh, received his power and his authority to do the things that he was doing, to baptizing people to, to, uh, uh, to, to, um, in repentance. A decision about John is the decision about Jesus. If it was solely human origin that John came from, then Jesus is not acting on behalf of God or in the power of God. He may even be a false prophet, as a false prophet as they suspect. But if John's baptism was from heaven and was divinely commissioned and empowered, as the crowd believed and as the Sanhedrin fear, then Jesus teaches and acts with divine authority. So the question posed by Jesus provides a horrible dilemma for these religious leaders, those who came to question Jesus. These opponents of Jesus are in. Uh, are facing a interesting predicament, yet they seemed concerned. They do not seem concerned with the facts uh, or the truth, uh, but a possible ramifications of whatever way they answer. They had never accepted John's baptism, and thus the baptism, uh, and just to say that the baptism was from a heavenly or from a godly perspective, would leave them wide open for criticism. In that the case that they should be, in the case that they, they should have believed, and they should have accepted that baptism, they should have been a part of that and taken that in. Had they done this, they would have recognized that Jesus derived his authority from the same heavenly source. There can be no doubt that they would have liked to say, yes, John came from man, his authority came from men. That was what they believed, but John's popularity. Uh, with, the, with the people made it that, an answer was, that that giving this answer was impossible because they feared being stoned to death by the crowd. Because the crowd there considered John a great man, more than a great man, but a man who was sent by God, a prophet from God. And so they feared if they answered uh, contradictory to that, then the people would rile up and, prof, and, and, and stone them. Well, what would give the, the, the crowd the right to stone the people there? Um. By claiming um, in Deuteronomy chapter thirteen, if somebody claims to, to be a false, if somebody claims to be a prophet and is, is found out to be a false prophet, then um, they have the ability to to stone them. So, failing to recognize John as a true prophet would make them the opposite of that as well. They would be guilty of the false witness and liable to that punishment of somebody who claims to be the false witness. Um, and and the punishment would be the same of those accused what they would have received. And so by saying that John wasn't a prophet when he really was, they would have received the same punishment, which was stoning. Mm -hmm. And this is what they feared. So the fact that that the opponents of Jesus considered the possibility of being stoned for their answer, uh, it may seem kind of extreme for you and I, but during the first century, the mindset of the crowd was, Uh, such that this was a legitimate threat. Um, The volatile and unstable religious and political situation of the time made something like this quite possible. So, to avoid the dilemma, Jesus' opponents claimed ignorance. We don't know. We don't know where it came from. Even if their claim of ignorance was sincere, um, this would indicate that they, the religious leadership of Israel, were incompetent to decide such a basic religious issue as whether a man was truly a prophet or not. And it it gives them incompetence in what they were called to do. Yet it was not ignorance, but insincerity and hypocrisy that shaped their answer. So a decision for John will appear to support the cause of Christ. A decision against John will alienate the crowd for whom John was popular and was regarded as a true prophet. The fear of the, the reaction of the crowd and the fear of the true, con- they, they feared the reaction of the crowd, but they, they feared the true confession even more. So the Sanhedrin was checkmated not by Jesus and what Jesus was, was, was posing to them, but rather by their own scheming and by what they had initiated at the beginning of this interaction. So Jesus' response put the questioners on their defensive, and they faced this dilemma, Therefore, the proud leaders of the people were forced into the embarrassing position of saying that they did not know that John was sent from God or not. We don't know is not exactly true, but rather they were unwilling to know. Their judgment is determined by strategy rather than a desire for truth. The opponents of Jesus desire their desire to hold on to, um, to their power, to their traditions, to their influence was more important to them than engaging in a discussion that would lead the people to greater spiritual growth and development. Because if they were to engage in G- with Jesus, if they were to engage with him about this discussion about John, John's baptism, and which would lead to a discussion about Jesus' authority, if they were really desired to get into that, um, that would lead the people that were there gathered, that were listening to this interaction between them, that would lead them to, to come up with a, with a decision. We know Jesus is... Uh, is true in what he says. We know that Jesus is not, and we can dismiss him. But they weren't willing to do that. Uh, they feared uh, because Jesus put them in a position where they had to, uh, their, their real motives came out, their real motives in protecting what they had rather than, than truly uh, desiring what the truth is. And so, there's a lot of people that uh, that are kind of in this situation as well that, 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 uh, that we're aware of, people in our day, where they are afraid to truly get into a discussion about truly spiritual things, really deep matters of the faith. Because when we get down to it, the bottom line is as we dig deep into our spiritual things, we realize that we are inadequate, right? We realize that we don't have the answers, and only God has the answers for us. We realize that our sin has corrupted us to the point that if we're not totally dependent upon God, then we're hopeless. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. And if we're not humble enough to allow ourselves to put ourselves in God's hands, then um, then we're left with a uh, um, an existence that that that's uh, um, that leads to death and destruction. Um, but yet, in order to save our pride, in order to continue to to put on the face that I've got it all together, that I have the answers, I know things, we we a lot of times tend to to only want to go surface and not deep in the things of the faith. So when victory was no longer, or or actually before you get to that, what what are some instances when we hold on to traditions, strategies, or other things instead of the truth? What are some times when we want to hold on to the things that we're accustomed to, the things that we're comfortable with, rather than truly exploring the things of of the truth? Um, I was in a situation not too long ago, and uh, um, I was uh, engaging in a uh, a discussion with a a man who happened to be African-American, And uh, it, it, was, it was a ministry through this African church, uh, people from, from North Africa. And this African American came, and we were discussing. And he had some pretty uh, out there views, <laughs> views that, that, that weren't, weren't lined up. And so we were discussing. And uh, I was trying to help him see the truth, help him to see things as, as scripture lines them out. And, and he had some other off, off, off views. And, and so his question was, was where did Jesus come from? Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? And so these, these, uh, these Africans that I was there with, uh, they answered, you know, Jesus was, was Caucasian. He was white Caucasian. Which, you know, kind of, kind, of, kind of was difficult for us because Jesus wasn't Caucasian, right? Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was from the Middle East. He wasn't from uh, um, Europe. He wasn't from, you know, America. He was, he was from that area, that region. He looked like a Middle Eastern man. And so be able to, to, to say those things uh, because that came from their tradition. Well, I've always seen pictures of Jesus, and he looked like a you know blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, savior for us. Well, that's not accurate, right? And so we have to we have to be able to uh, submit some of our ideas and, and, and traditions that we hold on to in order to really see the truth about things, in order to dialogue. Because if we're holding on to things that aren't true, then um, then it's going to be easy as as Jesus showed with the, the Sanhedrin. It's going to be easy to to tear apart those arguments and just to to. Uh, uh, to destroy, uh, rather than, than to promote what's, what's truly going on there. So we see when victory is no longer in sight for these opponents of Jesus, that they calculate how to minimize their losses, and they do that by suspending judgment. Theirs is an evasion. To those unwilling to commit themselves, Jesus refuses to commit. Were their faith, Were their faith as small as a mustard seed, he would respond. But without faith, he says to them, neither will I tell you. By what authority I come from? Throughout his whole ministry, it is clear that Jesus is very con- is, is very conscious of possessing the highest authority, but he will not speak about it to men who will not answer a plain question to which they know the answer. In response to this, hypothet- uh, to this uh, hyper um, critical refusal, Jesus declined to answer their question, for any further discussion would lead um, any further discussion with them would have been useless. Proverbs um, chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, um, says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So the discussion that Jesus saw with such biased and hostile people was worthless. so he ended the conversation. Jesus had little time to, to play their games, and those who had an agenda to um, preserve themselves and their power base. His purpose is to Jesus' purpose is to come to transform lives and to create within his people a holiness that comes from complete submission to God's will. The religious authorities of his day had no desire to honestly look at their lives. So Jesus cut them loose in order to focus on the crowd who wanted to hear the message of truth and substance. So as we close today, I want you to take an honest look at your life. And what is your motivation for being here? Are you truly here because you're wanting to serve Savior with a genuine heart? Or are you here for other reasons? Do the cares of this world matter more to you than applying the word of God in your life. Those who adamantly opposed Jesus were extremely religious. In the way they dressed, the way they acted, the way they spoke, they attended services every week. However, their hearts were as darkened and corrupted as the nastiest sinner in the world. Make this decision to be wise. Allow God to instruct you and be open to his righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that's in your word. Lord, I thank you for the authority that Jesus Christ demonstrated and showed as he lived on this earth. Lord, I I thank you that there were challenges to his authority because through those challenges we see an even more um, confidence in who we serve and who we believe. And so Lord, I pray that as we Take these things to heart as we consider Jesus and who He was and what He did. I pray that You would continue to lead us, to guide us, to draw us closer to You. In all things, Lord, may our love for You abound. In Jesus' name, amen.